Welcome to Lead On, a program where we have a weekly conversation about practical issues related to ministry leadership. I'm Jeff Orge, the president of Gateway Seminary, and I'm delighted to talk with you once again about practical issues that we face as church leaders and leaders of ministry organizations. We're in the middle of a two-part presentation on how we can get more people involved in ministry and how we can find more leaders for churches and ministry organizations. In some recent surveying, uh, this low level of commitment that's evident in many churches and among many Christians today was a prime problem that pastors talked about. Now, it's not just because of the pandemic that we're facing this. It's really been a problem that's been around for a while. But the pandemic may have certainly uh, made it worse or at least made it stand out in bolder relief. So I've been addressing the question last week and now this week of How do we get more people involved in ministry? And then specifically, how do we raise more of them to leadership responsibilities in our churches? Now, there's a few large churches in our area here in Southern California, and that's great. But frankly, most churches are still pretty small, and they depend on lay people to provide their worker base and their leadership base. So if you want uh, someone to lead your preschool or direct your children's ministries or lead your worship, if you want someone to drive the van for your youth events or visit shut-ins or prepare food for activities or fellowships, where are you going to get those people? Well, that's what the program is about last last week and this week. Now, last week, we focused on answering the question of what motivates people to get involved in ministry, and I gave the summation answers would be, Uh, First of all, people are motivated by a compelling vision. And second of all, they're motivated by love for God. And so as a leader, rather than heaping guilt on people or trying to shame them into doing something or getting them to do it out of some kind of a duty or uh, negative obedience in some sense, we have to find a way uh, to project vision and responding to God in love and devotion as the primary motivations. Then also last week, I talked about uh, some of the reasons that motivate us to be involved in this process and what as leaders drives us to try to get more people engaged in ministry with us and raise more people up in leadership. And I also talked about something called the leadership development pyramid, which is that uh, explanation I gave of where more leaders come from. Uh, They come from the unchurched, unsaved, lost uh, uh, community around you. Now, I know most Christian leaders think, oh, no, 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 Christian workers and Christian leaders are going to come from the pews or from the chairs or from the membership, and some will. But if you want an ever-expanding base of people to continually work in your ministry organization or in your church, you're going to have to figure out a way to develop your strategies so that you start with winning more people to faith in Jesus, assimilating those new converts, stabilizing those converts and helping them into a discipleship process, and then from that discipleship process, producing more leaders. Well, that's a quick summary of what we talked about last week. Now let's get to another important aspect of this process or this problem, and that is some practical uh, methods that you can use for engaging more people in ministry work and finding more ministry leaders. First of all, You have to create what I call on-ramps for people to engage in small ways that then grow into larger ways of service or leadership. Now, I've watched one particular person do this very well over the years. Uh, She has directed preschool ministries. And so what she does, rather than go to someone and say, would you commit the rest of your life to being a preschool teacher? Uh, She says, 
would you mind uh, working as a greeter in our preschool area once a month? Or would you mind working security in our preschool area twice a month? And as she introduces people to these on-ramps of involvement that, re in, that require a very low level of training and a very low threshold of commitment, they find that they really enjoy working in this particular area or this particular capacity. I've seen another person do this well with youth ministry. Uh, he goes to people and says, hey, listen, uh, not will you become the teacher of the 10th grade boys class? But no, he says, hey, uh, we're having a youth activity. Would you mind just driving the van for us and making sure we get there and back safely? Or, you know, we're going to have this lock-in uh, experience or this overnight party, and I just need somebody to work the doors and make sure that nobody gets in or out that shouldn't. Would you mind helping me out with that? And he starts by introducing that. Well, you know what happens. The driver starts up some conversations, gets acquainted with some of the people involved and says, you know, I kind of like this. And so the next time there's an event, they volunteer to drive. And the next time there's an event, they volunteer to drive. And pretty soon they've established relationships with a number of teenagers in the ministry. And now they're asking, how else can I get involved here? So one of the first ways that you can use a practical approach to getting more people engaged is to create more on-ramps. I think Christian leaders sometimes make the mistake of over-assuming what people are capable of doing or of what they're trained to do or of what they have the confidence to even attempt. You know, most people, quite frankly, are intimidated. I know this might be hard for you to hear, but most people are kind of intimidated by the thought that they're going to actually do ministry to another person or take on responsibility for ministry to other people. And so they have to be helped to grow to that a point where they have that capacity and that confidence to do that very thing. And one of the ways you get them there is developing what I call more on-ramps so that you don't overwhelm people with a request up front for them to make a three-year commitment or for them to make a, a commitment to teaching every week or for them to make a commitment to be the leader of a ministry or a program. Instead, find ways to create on-ramps where people can be drivers and coaches or people can be guides or they can be security people or they can be greeters. They can somehow connect and get involved and then see that involvement start to grow. And even as you begin moving people toward teaching responsibilities and leadership responsibilities, still helping to do that incrementally so that people are not overwhelmed in the process of coming uh, to that. This also solves another problem. Sometimes people say, yeah, Jeff, that might work, but but I just, I just need more people to take on more responsibility. Well, they're not going to take on more responsibility if you don't field test them with just a little bit of responsibility. And then they might grow to take on more responsibility. And, and then another uh, issue that this raises is how do you get more people involved who may not have more or greater capacity for continued progress toward real leadership? Well, you do that by creating on-ramps that give people then stopping places also along the way to say, this is as far as I can go, as much as I can do, as much as my commitment or training or capacity uh, will, 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 will allow. You know, I, I've been a pastor for a number of years before I started leading a Christian organization. And let's just be honest. Uh, when you're a pastor, you know that you have some people that if you're ranking them on a scale of 1 to 10, their leadership ability is a 1. Others, it's a five. Others, it's a seven. Others, it's a 10. 
And you know that there are some people that you can actually move along. You can take a three and turn them into a four or a five into a seven by training and modeling and uh, experience. You can actually help people improve. But you don't have to be in a church or a ministry organization very long to realize that some people just have limited capacity. Now, that doesn't mean they're bad people. They're actually good people. They love the Lord. They're committed to the church. They just have limited capacity. Or perhaps they have spiritual gifts that don't lend themselves to uh, public ministries or to taking on administrative tasks or to being broadly based in what they do in ministry. They need to do something that's a little more smaller, a little more direct. Wise leaders don't uh, bemoan the fact that they have to put up with all these limited people. No. Wise leaders redesign their organization so that they are able to understand how to use all of these people in good and healthy ways. Another broader example of the same principle is uh, what's happened in uh, one denomination in the United States, and that's the Southern Baptist Convention. You know, the Southern Baptist Convention did not become the largest Protestant denomination because it has a few flagship churches where large numbers of people go every Sunday. It certainly has that, but it doesn't depend on those superstar leaders for its growth. What it's how it's grown has been having thousands of small churches with 50, 75, 100 people in them with a pastor who can do that size church really well. And by multiplying those leaders rapidly across the nation, we've come up with close to 50,000 churches these days. Wow. So the principle works whether you're talking about a local church or a ministry organization or even a big denomination. We have to scale the strategy to meet the, to, to take advantage of the leadership capacities of the people we have. Now, God will give you some people who have remarkable leadership gifts and abilities who can take on broader responsibilities, and we're grateful for that. But instead of depending only on them or lamenting that we don't have more of them, we have to think carefully about how to redesign our strategies so that we have a lot of on-ramps and a lot of stopping places along the way for people to check in, find their spot, and serve effectively. Wouldn't it be better to have 10 people serving in small ways than to be waiting around for one, two, or five years for that one person who could come along who can do it all? You'd be much more, you're much more likely to find those people who can serve in those smaller ways and then finding a way to plug them in and redesigning your strategy to make that work. So the first method, if you will, or the first principle or the first approach, practically speaking, to get more people involved in ministry work and then more people moving toward ministry leadership is to create more on-ramps and with those on-ramps, create even some stopping places along the way so that people can come on, field test their abilities, their talents, their gifts, their opportunities, and then rise to the level of their greatest capacity and influence and stop along the way if they're people with limited capacity or limited opportunity or for whatever reason, that's where they need to be and that you're content with that and you facilitate lots of people coming to that level of leadership if those are the people that you currently have to work with. Now, beyond that, there are some specific ways that you can work with individuals or groups to help them become uh, better leaders and to find more workers to plug into more of these opportunities. Let me just talk about some of those specific methods. And the first one of these is what I call one-on-one -on -one teaching. One-on-one -on -one teaching. Now, this is the next step, if you will. You start to see people emerging from those on-ramps and those stopping stopover points. You start seeing some people emerge who really do have more capacity. And you say, I need to start teaching them a little bit more about leadership. 
Now, one-on-one teaching is you as a leader meeting one-on-one with people, or you might say sometimes one-on-two with people, but in a very small group like that, where you're meeting with them and teaching them what it means to be in leadership and what you're expecting of them in your particular situation. Now, having done this for years, let me give you a few cautions. First of all, these need to be same gender relationships. And you may say, well, I need to train some women because that's who I have in my church and that's where the the bulk of the workers are going to come from. Well, just make sure it's one-on-two in that context, not one-on-one. And then second, these need to be limited time or limited duration relationships. When I first started doing this years ago, I made the mistake of making open-ended commitments to people. And then when, for whatever reason, those relationships needed to end, there were sometimes hard feelings or disappointment attached. What I've learned along the way with a one-on-one teaching or a one-on-two teaching relationship is to say, let's meet together for six weeks or let's meet together for three months and Uh, Or let's have lunch together once a month for the next six months, and let's talk about what it means for you to take on this responsibility as a youth minister in our church, or uh, take on this responsibility as the coordinator of our outreach program or the coordinator of our transportation ministry. Let's talk about what that means, and I'll meet with you and train you and teach you and help you learn what is involved and how you can do it better. Now, I've also learned that these these one-on-one or one-on-two teaching responsibilities uh, work best when they have a specific goal, like reading a book together or watching a video training program together or meeting to uh, work through some kind of training manual or training procedures that you may have for the particular position or the particular responsibility you're asking people to take. So when I talk about a one-on-one or a one-on-two teaching responsibility, I'm talking about same gender, limited time relationships with a specific goal of accomplishing something together, like reading a book or watching a video series or working through a training manual, or even just looking at a job description and teaching a person the different responsibilities that are involved. Now that's one-on-one teaching. Now, very close to that, but different in a significant way is what I call one-on-one coaching. And again, this could also be one-on-two in certain situations. But one-on-one coaching differs from one-on-one teaching in that it involves on-the-job training. On-the-job training. So if you would like to create, for example, a new uh, coordinator or director for the preschool ministry of your church, well, the first step might be to identify someone that you think could be that person and then have a teaching time with them. Say, I'd like to meet with you every other week for the next uh, two or three months, and I want you to read this book on directing preschool ministries in local churches, and it's got six chapters, and every time we meet, I want us to walk through one of the chapters and talk about it and see what we can learn together, and I want to teach you what that looks like. And so you meet for one-on-one teaching for this first section of time, this first segment of time, to help a person learn the basics about what you're asking them to do. Then you morph that into one-on-one coaching. And this is, after the person takes on the job, you continue to coach them in the early days of their, of their responsibility. So, for example, in this same illustration, you've got a, your, your preschool ministry training process. You identify that you need a new preschool director. You find someone in your church that you think has the capacity for doing this. And you say, I'd like to meet with you for some one-on-one teaching. And you meet with them one-on-one or maybe one-on-two, however it needs to be organized, for, say, the next six weeks or the next three months, and you go through this training material together. And you teach them what it means to fulfill this responsibility. And at the end of that time, you say, now we're ready to move you into the job. 
And so you put them in the responsibility and you say, now for the next three months, I want to meet with you every week. I'm going to call you at, during your lunch hour from work. Uh, we'll Zoom together and we'll talk about what it means to direct the preschool ministry or we'll meet after you get off work every you know Thursday afternoon or something like that. But we're going to get together every week and we're going to debrief what you're experiencing as the preschool director and you're going to talk to me about your problems, your challenges, your dreams, your hopes, all aspects of the job. And I'm going to do coaching for you, which is helping you learn how to do your job better. So notice the difference. One-on-one -on -one teaching is a more theoretical, if you will, me teaching you how to do the job, me getting you ready for the task, me laying the groundwork for what you'll need to do to be successful. Then you move into the position and we go into this one-on-one -on -one coaching phase, which could last a few weeks or a few months or however long is necessary. Now I know what you're already thinking. Man, that's a lot of time. Yeah, I know it is. But this is how leaders get developed in local churches or ministry organizations. It takes a time investment up front in order to have a long-term productivity afterwards. And you may say, well, I just don't have that time in the next three months. Well, you may not have the time in the next three months, but do you have the time in the next five years to deal with what's going to happen if you don't take time in the next three months to train a good person and put them in that responsibility? So you may think you don't have time in the short run only because you are undervaluing the long-term impact that can be made by you making this kind of investment. You know, I still use this same process here uh, at the seminary. Now, as the president of a large seminary, obviously I don't supervise every employee directly. I have about 150 employees. But I do have vice presidents that work directly with me, and I'm their supervisor, and they report to me, and I'm responsible to help them do their work well. And so when the seminary gets a new vice president, I've done this repeatedly uh, over my 17 years, when the seminary gets a new vice president, I tell them, I want to have a time of one-on-one -on -one coaching with you as you come into your position. Now, they don't need so much one-on-one -on -one teaching because as a vice president level employee, they have extensive experience in the areas that they're going to be leading. And so they already have been, so to speak, taught how to do the job. But now they need coaching in our specific organization, how we do things and how we're going to solve the problems they're going to be facing here. And so <clears throat> what I do the first year, a new vice president works under my leadership, is the first three months I meet with them for lunch once a week. And the next three months, I meet with them once a quarter. And after that, I meet with them once a month so that we fill out a whole year of decreasing coaching, but nevertheless, intentional coaching to help them really get off to a great start. Now, I've got a track record here of having vice presidents to stay a long time. I'm thinking about one right now that I did this investment process with 10 years ago. Now he's worked for 10 years as a VP, and he requires virtually no supervision, just a very little bit from time to time. Why? Because my heavy investment at the front end has paid off long-term dividends on the back end as we got off to this really great start through one-on-one -on -one coaching that really set the chart or the path of his direction going forward and made him so effective. And then another way that you can develop more workers and teachers are what I call closed small groups. Now, closed small groups are different, different than open small groups in that they have a finite time and a finite uh, group of people that you're working with. In other words, it's not a you-all-come type class. Now, every church needs those you-all-come type classes. That's not a problem. But these are not those, okay? These are 
courses where you're trying to help people to really think about what it means to begin to be more active involved in the work of your church and in the ministry you're trying to accomplish in your community or in the work of your organization and the ministry you're trying to fulfill in our world. And so as you work with people in closed small groups, you're saying to them, I want you to come to this leadership development group or this worker development group. And for the next six weeks or the next three months, we're going to meet every week and I'm going to teach you about what it's like to be in Christian ministry and some of the resources you have and some of the tools at your disposal and some of the ways that you can uh, draw strength from others and draw strength from training and draw strength from God in order to do this kind of work. And in the process of that, I'm going to be laying out for you in this group a number of different ways that you can be involved. I'm going to be showing you some of the needs of our church and some of the needs of our community and some of the opportunities that exist to join different ministry organizations and different teams in our church. Some churches have gone so far as to develop a person in their church who's actually a lay leader whose responsibility is just running this kind of program so that two or three times a year for about six weeks, they have this open time of saying, we'd like for you, if you have any interest in being involved, to join this worker development group. They give it some kind of better, more creative name than that. But it's an opportunity for you to investigate your gifts, uh, your talents, your abilities, your interests, to look at your schedule, to look at the availability of opportunities that exist in our church and our community and through us into the lives of others, and then help us to place you where you fit best and to find a way that you can be most meaningfully engaged in our work. That's a closed, small group. I'm acquainted with one pastor who for 30 years, are you hearing me on this? For 30 years, did a closed small group every fall semester and every spring semester, closely paralleling the universities in his community. And every fall and every spring, he had a small group of people that he would gather together for a leadership development, uh, ministry worker development process that he had uh, perfected over the years as a pastor that he wanted to walk people through. And he told me later uh, in an interview session, he said, you know, almost all of the significant leaders in our church over these 30 years, got their taste of what it meant to be a ministry leader and got started in some small way as a result of attending this class. I taught it. It was that important. I wanted people to get engaged, and I knew if the pastor let it, they were more likely to do so. And he said it took time, and people often wondered why I didn't spend that time doing more ministry myself. But I knew that if I invested that time well in 6, 10, 12, 15 people a semester— that I was going to, over time, build an army of people who understood my heart, understood the church's ministry, understood the opportunities that were before us, and were committed to fulfilling them. And so in the short run, yes, it took some time, but in the long run, it made a huge difference. Well, we're talking about practical methods and realities of how you develop more workers and bring more leaders into the mix in your church or ministry organization. And I said it starts with creating more on-ramps where people can get connected in simple ways throughout your organization. And some of those people will find a stopping point fairly early on in their journey, but others will rise to leadership. Hey, where are those people find a stopping point if that's the basic level and that's all they can do? Celebrate that and get a lot of people involved at that point. And then finally, those that keep growing, work through some of these things I've described, one-on-one teaching, one-on-one coaching, closed small groups. And then one last one, and that is using conferences and seminars and even formal education like the seminary where I work to help people to get really skilled in a particular part of their task. Now, conferences and seminars and even seminary classes are best done with people uh, in a sense that 
they have someone who's who's mo- monitoring what they're learning, helping them process it and put it into practice. I learned this one time when I took a group of people to a conference. Uh, I'd been to that conference several times. That really wasn't all that inspirational to me, but I went anyway because I wanted to support the people I was taking. And when we left the conference, we went out to lunch. And instead of just uh, letting the conversation ramble, I actually said, hey, what are uh, the things that you really learned today? And man, they told me what those things were. And it was exciting as we processed. And I learned something that day. If you really want to make the best of a conference or a seminar, even a class that you send people to attend, Meet with them afterwards and do immediate debrief and help them make application and figure out what to do with it. And that makes the conferences and seminars oh so much more profitable. Well, the problem is, how do you get more people engaged in the work of ministry? And then out of those workers, how do we emerge more leaders? Last week, we talked about some of the theoretical, philosophical, and even theological drivers that move us in this process. Today, we've talked about the practical ways to get it done. We need more workers. We need more leaders. We can facilitate this happening as we lead on.